We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast. I'm flying solo this time because I've got a special episode for you that I'm releasing early, just in time for Halloween. We're going to do something just a little bit different this time and instead of having a conversation with uh, with John or any uh, guests here live on the show, I'm going to have a couple of interviews that I actually recorded a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so you're going to be hearing these conversations that I did with a couple of filmmakers. I'm going to play my interview with Michael Medaglia first because it's not nearly as long as the other one. Michael is the writer and director of a film called Deep Dark that's coming out on November 10th. The movie is about a struggling artist that finds inspiration from a mysterious hole in the wall of his apartment. This is a good film, and it really walks the line between horror and dark comedy really well. I got the chance to talk to Michael for a few minutes a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to share that conversation with you right now. But I want to apologize because the audio is just a little bit iffy on his side. This was the first time that I'd used the, the Skype recorder to record someone that was talking to me on a telephone. So, you know, his, his side's a little bit, uh, distorted and muffled but you can you can understand what he says i cleaned up the audio pretty well so so here it is the next thing that you're going to hear will be my conversation with michael medallia the director and writer of deep dark how are you doing tonight oh i'm doing fine i'm calling you from portland oregon uh and uh uh still kind of earlier in the day for me here how about yourself I'm doing well. Um, my name is uh, Sean Ray, and I'm part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast. And I uh, just yes. wanted I just wanted to talk to you for a few minutes about your uh, about your film. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. Yeah, um, yeah. Nice to meet you. Um, it uh, uh, Clint told me uh, uh, to give you a call today, so uh, so yeah, I'm excited. And I heard about Cosmic Potato, um, so. Uh, I'm excited to do the interview. Okay. All right. Well, uh, so Michael Medaglia, um, writer and director of the film Deep Dark, which uh, it comes out next month, right? Yeah, November okay. 10th. Okay. So uh, just to give my audience a quick rundown of what the what the movie is about. Uh, so Herman is a is a struggling artist, and he makes uh, he makes mobiles, um, like you would hang over a a crib, you know, that, uh, but but more artistic. But he's not really successful at it. But it all changes when a hole in his wall starts helping him create uh, art that seems to kind of drive people people wild. So, so this movie is part horror and part comedy. Is that is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Okay. So, d- tell me a little bit about where the idea for the film came from. 
Oh, well, um, it was, it was a while ago, uh, where I, I think I was at the time I was just having, uh, you know, some, some trouble balancing my, uh, my artistic career with, with my, uh, you know, with my, uh, personal relationships and the idea for the, the muse, uh, uh, the, the, the muse as a hole in the wall, uh, came to me where, um, the idea would be kind of like a love triangle between uh, the artist muse and the artist and uh, someone else. Um, right. And so uh, um, I I remember I had the original um, like a tunnel of a scene came to me, which was the the there's a scene where he's pulling notes out of a hole. Right. Yeah. Uh, where he first he finds a thread, and at the end of the thread there's a note. And it's almost like the note's been there forever, but it's actually talking to him in real time. Right. So uh, that was uh, that was one of the first things that came to me, and I think a lot of the the story evolved around that. Um, and uh, uh, I think I wrote it in. Well, I know I finished it in 2008. The script. Um, so it was a while ago, but uh, uh, you know, it took a little while to get the you know, to get the, the money together and make the film. And, um, you know, we finally finished it, uh, uh, right. late last year. Okay. Well, um, so the whole is, uh, is voice is, it's, a uh, it's like, it's got the voice of a beautiful woman. The, the voice mm-hmm. belongs to, uh, Denise, uh, Poirier. Is that, am I pronouncing that right? Poirier? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, that's right. And she, she mm-hmm. used to be on the old, uh, Eon Flux animated series. I think some of my listeners will probably remember her from that, but, uh, so it it keeps giving Herman all these grotesque looking wads of some kind of it looks like a little slime ball or something. So so in, in your imagination, what what is what would you say is is in that in that wall? Was it a monster of some kind or? Um, you know, it's funny. I I had a few ideas when we were making the film, um, uh, and this is not in the this is not in the in the in the film really, but, uh, for me, um, the, the whole is something like, uh, almost like another dimension. It's almost like a, you know, it's, it's infinitely deep. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, you know, uh, adhere to the, the laws of physics in that, you know, um, it's only, the wall is an interior wall and he can look on the other side of the wall, but when he looks inside the hole, you know, it's, it's way deeper than that. And so right. for me, the whole, uh, um, is this sort of, uh, being, um, which could, could be a creature at times and it could, you know, um, have teeth and be creature like, but, uh, it wasn't just one, you know, like it wasn't like there was like a little worm in the hole or something like that. Right. It wasn't quite that. Yeah, and she makes she makes a couple of comments that kind of uh, make you think that she's helped other artists, famous artists throughout history. So I get the sense that this is a, a creature, some sort of creature that moves around, like not necessarily in that hole, but maybe in another part of the world or another part of the universe somewhere at different times. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My my you know my thinking was at one point she was much more powerful than she is now, and. Right. At the height of her power, she was able to open up new holes in different places in the world, and that's how she was able to inspire 
different artists all over the world. Now she's 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 you know much weaker and um, barely has the strength to uh, you know to to uh, to talk to him at the very beginning of the story. Right. Yeah, and she gets stronger as the story goes on, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, even though there's a there's some scary moments and some there, there's some graphic imagery, the the movie has a lot of comedy in it, and uh, a lot mm-hmm. of the a lot of the horror movies that I grew up with in the '80s kind of walked that line between comedy and horror. Did you draw any inspiration from from films of from that era? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I I don't know what happens to horror movies now. They're just you know they're so they're so serious. Right. Um, yeah. It's all did. torture. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel the same way. I, I love um, I love movies where they try to mix genres a little bit. You still see that these days. There's some really you know smart um, horror movies that are also also can be witty. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely um, movies like Evil Dead or maybe not even horror movies like uh, Delicatessen. Um, which is more of a fantasy, I guess. And uh, um, uh, I would I would say uh, the movie The Tenant. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a Roman Polanski film. No, um, which is kind of like a it. yeah, it's sort of like a psychological thriller, but it's it's you know very very funny at the same time, right? Uh, in a morbid way. So yeah, so yeah, that, those were the inspirations for. Uh, for our tone. Yeah, it was it was funny that you brought up the Evil Dead because um, the opening scene, the opening scene is pretty gory, and then it kind of mm-hmm. goes into a more comical scene. And, and as I was watching the film, I was thinking, I was thinking of Sam Raimi. That that seemed like something yeah. that he would do. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm definitely a, a fan of his films for sure. Um, and and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the opening scene. It was it was a. You know, it was since the, the film is kind of a slow burn, it doesn't really start, you know, picking up until, uh, um, you know, later on. Right. Um, we wanted to keep, we basically wanted the audience to know, okay, just, just be patient. There is going to be, there's going to be blood. There's going to be stuff going on. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like a promise we made. Like, just, just hang on and you'll see some interesting stuff happening pretty soon. So, uh, what other uh, filmmakers do you look up to? Um, well, de- definitely uh, Polanski, like I mentioned, right. uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the early Cronenberg films, and I think you'll see a lot of influence there for for Deep Dark movies like Videodrome or The Fly, especially. Um, uh, but also, you know, um, non horror filmmakers too, like. Uh, um, the Cohen brothers, uh, I think they have a, an amazing sense of humor and timing. Um, uh, and, and Stanley Kubrick too, which you probably saw some influences there in the film. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, anything with a good story, uh, that, that's, that's what I'm looking for. So is there anybody in the business, whether it be a filmmaker or an actor or a writer, that you would really like to work with? Oh, uh, tons really, but, um, yeah, I know um, it's probably a long list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, people, people always give me crap about it, but I would love to work with Nicholas Cage one day. Um, okay. 
he is uh, he's done some amazing stuff, and he's also done some not so great stuff. Um, <laughs> but I think the and and you know people you know make a lot of fun of him, but I, I feel like they they kind of forget some of the truly fantastic um, parts he's played. You know, so I, I kind of feel like in the hands of a good director or a good script, like he can do really well. But sometimes he just doesn't always take those jobs, and so. Uh, I would love to work with him because I feel like he's got a lot of potential and I, you know, I think he would bring a lot to it. So he's probably my most interesting, uh, you know, person I would love to work with, but, um, so many, so many great actors, great, uh, I'd love to, to even chat with, with some, some directors and just get some tips. Yeah. I think Nicolas Cage is one of those actors that he just likes to work. So he'll take a lot of scripts and, some of them are great scripts and some of them are not, but he just wants to keep doing the work, you know, so, and I, I'm yeah. glad for that. So. <laughs> yeah, um, and I don't, yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Who knows what his financial situation is? Maybe he, he doesn't have a choice. He has to take the work. Yeah, t- take what you can get, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, what, what is the uh, next project that you're planning or what you're working on um, now, maybe? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, re- I'm writing a new script. Um, it's, uh, and I'm, I'm still in the process of it, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but it's, um, it is a, a horror fantasy. Um, the main character is a woman and it's, uh, it's not as dark humor, um, but it's probably going to be pretty, pretty weird and disturbing still. Okay. So, so that's all I got so far. Is that what you prefer is, is, is horror and, and dark? dark things like that uh yeah yeah i i mean it absolutely i think uh that's where i'm I'm feeling most at home um but uh um i've also made documentaries in the past and i've also done some music videos uh, um so i you know i i don't uh only do the one thing but uh but i i do enjoy it and i would love to um continue doing it probably a horror fantasy is where i'm I'm happiest. So what is a horror filmmaker like yourself planning on doing for Halloween this year? <laughs> uh, that is a good question. My wife uh, has to, has to leave town for, uh, for Halloween. So we left to my own devices. I was, um, we just uh, moved into a house. And so I'm excited about getting trick-or-treaters. And so I've been trying to concoct some, some fiendish ways to scare them. But, um, uh, but my wife is talking me out of it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> half of me wants to stay home and, and scare the bejesus out of kids, and the other half of me uh, uh, wants to give them candy and then go out and have a beer. Well, if any if any of them know that you're a horror filmmaker, they'll probably end up staying away. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Probably, probably, yeah. the same, probably the same reaction <laughs> Stephen King gets. He's probably nobody's wanting to go to his house on Halloween or afraid yeah. of what he might do. Yeah. So. How about yourself? Do you have any plans? No. Well, uh, my kids have just started getting to the age where they don't want to go trick-or-treating anymore. So I oh, think uh, yeah. I think me and my wife are probably just going to stay home and, and watch uh, some classic uh, horror movies, Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that. Oh, good. Yeah. That yeah. is a good way. That is a good way to spend Halloween. 
Okay, well, uh, so I've been uh, talking with Michael Medaglia. Am I pronouncing your name right, Michael Medaglia? Um, you know what? I it's it's actually Medaglia, but oh, okay. um, it is uh, it is a close second, and I'm perfectly comfortable with that. That that is the American pronunciation of my name. Oh, okay. It's an Italian name, and so Medaglia is uh, how you would say it in Italy, uh, and it actually means medallion. So like the thing you have around your neck. Right. Okay. Okay. So yeah. the the film comes out on November 10th. Uh, where is it going to be available? Yeah, it'll be on um, most VOD channels like uh, iTunes and Xbox and things like that. Um, it will also be out on DVD. Um, I am not sure where at first, but you know, Amazon eventually. Um, I know it's uh, going to be in some some family video type stores like rental and stuff like that. But I would say you should watch it on VOD uh, if you want to see it in HD. Okay. So uh, that's that, and watch it uh, in the dark. With yeah. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I did I did watch the film uh, two days ago, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, and, and congratulations oh, you. on it. You're welcome. And so uh, thank, thank you, you thank you for joining me here on uh, Cosmic Potato. Appreciate it. I am I am I am so happy to be uh, to be on Cosmic Potato. Thanks a bunch, and uh, uh, yeah, um, have a great evening. You too. Thank you very much. Appreciate the interview. All right. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. Okay, so be sure to check out Deep Dark on November tenth. It'll be on DVD. You'll be able to find it on Amazon and all that stuff. The next interview that I've got for you is with a filmmaker by the name of Justin Price. Justin is a writer, he's an actor, and he's a director, and he made a film called Dark Moon Rising. It's a werewolf flick, and it stars Eric Roberts, and among others. Justin was really passionate about his work, and he really wanted to talk, so I just asked him a couple of questions, and I just let him go after it. I really like Justin. So the next thing you're going to hear is going to be my conversation with Justin Price. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. Hi, Justin. This is Sean Ray from the uh, Cosmic Potato Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right, man. A little bit out under the weather. We uh, had a, a long, long, crazy week coming up, but I'm excited. We're very blessed. So thank okay. you so much. Great, great. I just want, wanted to chat with you for a few <laughs> minutes and uh, just had a few questions that I wanted to uh, talk to you about. Your uh, your film is was called uh, Dark Moon Rising. Uh-huh. I just I just uh, watched it a few days ago. Really enjoyed it. But uh, uh, what, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's fine. I was gonna say just thank you. You know, thank you for watching um, oh. watching the film. I was just gonna interject in there. <laughs> no, so you uh, so you uh, you wrote the film, directed the film, mm-hmm. you acted in the film. 
kind of a jack of all trades for you. So you, you were a busy guy on this one. <laughs> yeah, and it's great. I mean, um, what's what's amazing about what we're doing now um, in the new era of filmmaking and with authors that are coming out, and, and there's so many great projects that are that are hitting the screen and digital uh, VOD um, and digital on demand is we're allowed to create, and I think that's kind of what is happening um, with Dark Moon Rising. I mean, um, you, you kind of put your name on, on a lot of things as far right. as titles go, but we're, able, we're actually able to have the freedom to make a, a project like, like Dark Moon Rising where, we, you know, we have characters speaking in their minds and relaying that to screen. And I think if I had uh, developed that film in any other way, uh, whether it be a studio, whether it be macro budget, where we have to, sort of focus on returning numbers or, or focus on hitting certain avenues and cues. And it'd be very difficult to make that film. And it's not yeah. just me, you know, there's so many other great movies that are being made now where you can take risks and, um, you know, it's, it's such a collective, um, it's such a collective effort for us to, to kind of get in there and, and create a film in general. So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like I feel bad having my name in different slots because it belongs to the fans. It belongs to everyone. And I work with Pictures Your Entertainment. It kind of belongs to my team and, and, and to the, um, you know, the people that are in, in the film. And so that, that's, it's, it's really, it's got, it's, you know, it gets me there because I know that, um, in the day or in the, in the beginning of independent filmmaking, right. uh, it was centered on, on more of, uh, people having to create a film uh, or an energy just because it was difficult to get that energy and jobs were in, in a few places, you know, as far as retail and studios and, and there were, there were a lot of jobs there. So you could kind of make a film about yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that was kind of like the goal. Well, you know what? I'm not in anything. I guess I'll make something with me and, <laughs> and, and, and that, everyone had that energy. But now with, with, I mean, just, it's just a blessing. I mean, it's Redbox, Walmart to get in there. And I looked at it this way. We're, we're next to a loft with Jennifer Conley. We're next to Kevin Bacon when we released. And, and all I could think was, how how difficult and how blessed it must be to be able to be next to these two phenomenal talents, uh, stalwarts, yeah. and, and you know, and and so when you say directed by or written by, I just it's it's very it's very humbling, and and I'm just appreciative that we're able to to do something that had the energy, and it's not based off of um, you know anything other than. Redbox taking a chance on the art because they have a clientele to satisfy. They have no, you know, they have things they need to do for their, their space and their boxes. So right. there's a lot of it goes into that decision. And so it's really, really exciting for us that they decided to put it in there. And Walmart, again, that's, I mean, there's only a slot of new films. I think two shelf spaces and and it's probably six feet long, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's just—it's really, really crazy to to have this, and I, and I think it gets lost sometimes um, as we get into filmmaking. How again? How how blessed we are to be able to to do something like that. So yeah, it belongs to everyone. You know, when when, it, when you see a film like Dark Moon Rising, and my name is all over it. 
<laughs> uh, I always because it gets me. I I, I kind of watch the credits roll, and it's just like you know, written by, shot by. Oh my god! And if, <laughs> you know, it's like man, I'm just gonna say done by everyone. Yeah, it's gonna be my next thing. Well, a lot of the a lot of the movies in the horror genre that are coming out uh, these days mm-hmm. are. You get a lot of vampire movies, you know, you get a lot of zombie movies. You don't see a whole lot of werewolf movies. So what was it that made you decide that you wanted to do a werewolf movie? Well, here goes. It's so, I'm sorry. That's like, I'm, I get, I'm, I guess I've really wake, um, you know, woke up now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I've woke, I rose right up. Uh, (laughs) I just, I love films so much and just respect the craft. And, and again, thank you so much for the interview. And what made me want to do this is, um, I when we sat back to develop something, here goes what what goes through our mind and, and the thought process of it. We're thinking, how can we present something that will be unique and different, and how can we push certain avenues and, and envelopes within that folklore, within that genre, and within you know certain elements that can be relatable to people and audiences, but also do it in a way that. A, we don't have a backing. We don't have a, as far as a graphic novel, you know, we don't have comics so that there's a history. Right. Um, so we have to kind of tell a story that is related upon, uh, from my own mind or from my mind and my vision. And I have to bring the audience into that story and, and into that, that world. And then B, well, how the heck do you tell this story without it being so formulaic? And, and, that's it's such a um a challenge you know and that's one that we're up to to do because again we're we're facing so many elements you know we could just get away with uh the small town the 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 sneaky bump in the night sort of run of the mill story where we have no clue what's in the dark and, right yeah <laughs> and all of a sudden here we go an hour and 30 minutes in it's a wolf <laughs> you know, <laughs> we didn't know that from from the first, you know, 15 minutes, which could have figured that out. But we, we try to stay away from doing things that way. Um, and it, and it, it becomes disjointed. It becomes convoluted. It becomes um, disorienting. And and, you know, I, I saw something recently Will Smith said is like, I'm getting back to failing forward. <laughs> and and that's. That's how I, I really want to live on that, that edge of where we're trying things. We're trying, hey, in Dark Moon Rising, the wolf shows up two minutes in. We're not eh, we're not going to stretch that out. Right, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, there he is. <laughs> you know, hey, if you like it, you like him, there he goes. Um, people are transforming. They're wearing Comic-Con sort of style outfits. They're not in blue jeans and T-shirts. Um you know, it's a lot of thought process that goes into what we're doing, even on this level. I mean, it's macro budget level. And then we're still trying to present something where we're, we're going to challenge the thought process. It's one thing that uh, we live by is I guarantee no one's going to know what's going to happen from scene to scene. Right. Even if they're thinking, oh, God, I didn't like that or it's different. You didn't know we were going to jump to the fantasy clips. It's just it made no sense. Probably, <laughs> and it, you know, it was just like, all right, how did this happen? But that's that's what we want to get back to, man. Just the days where people sat back and and just enjoy. Can you imagine? And Silver Bullet came out about a paraplegic uh, lead 
with Gary Busey. Right. And, and you know, that telling that story of a pastor who was the actual villain, um, just telling that the undertones beneath that, that statement alone, the pastor who's a villain. Right. Um, that story being told in the eighties, um, h- how would you take those kind of risks nowadays? Because it's very difficult to get that story out. Everyone's kind of clamoring for what the numbers are going to be. Uh, they're clamoring for how, how detailed the story was, what was the production budget, who's the director, what did he do last week, uh, who he dated, uh, why, <laughs> why is he, why is he, you know, how come there's not a real guy who, who uh, has a disability that's playing the lead role? It's, it'd be so many things that rolls up into that film. Yeah. That, w- that would keep you from, just taking and challenging the audience to go along with, with what was going on creatively, that it, it would be stymieing to, to direct or create. And I think that w- that is where most of the loss of, of uh, that's where, that's why most people are going to indie films and television because it's giving you a lot of room to sort of challenge right. the audience to go there. And so that's, that's why we chose werewolves, man. I mean, I, I, and I know again, I, I, so many ways I could have done that successfully, if you will, and and just gave a tried and true and tested formulaic uh, outline of how to do that. But I'd rather risk failing forward um, in, in within that genre and and give something that again has has some familiarity with the folklore and kind of stays true to it. But we're talking about doing some different things and and giving them powers, uh, werewolves from tribes. I wanted right. to play with that angle. You know, they, they're not just here doing special effects because we felt like that was sexy. Uh, it was, it's more, <laughs> everything is kind of relatable. Like, you know, they, they're not that strong. Uh, the, they have, they have, uh, they're trying to, to egregiate themselves within the town. They're trying to survive. Um, and it's about survival. And I think that that's interesting. Like it's better to tell a story about surviving and they so happen to be werewolves and they so happen to be a love story than a story about werewolves destroying people and how can we, you know, show people tra- changing and, and teeth and, and again, dark in the night kind of throwing, throwing things to the wind, if you will. Yeah. You know, and destruction creepy and you never see it, but you see the aftermath of it sort of uh, way of doing that so it was very interesting for us to, yeah, to so, tackle that genre so i was gonna what i was gonna i was also gonna ask you about the um the film kind of changes the rules of werewolves uh, mm-hmm. a little bit you know re- werewolves throughout cinema history we've had a, pr- a pretty much a, a same the same set of rules they come out at night you know mm-hmm. um a silver bullet can kill them that kind of thing your film had um I think your character had a special, like a venom strike, and um, and and I, I just wanted to ask you, and it, was that just you just wanted to differentiate yourself from other films that have been done? Um, mm-hmm. Because, like I said, it, it, you you kind of you kind of rewrote the rule book. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, <laughs> which they is not a bad, which is not a bad thing. It's always it's always good to to switch switch up things. You know, I, nobody wants to watch the same thing over and over and over. Yeah, that that's what we we'd imagine. I mean, again, just not giving credence to Darkman Rising because, by all means, there's so many great films that have come out that have challenged how we perceive horror, how we perceive romantic comedies. I mean, look at 
great films, Train Wreck, look at 500 Days of Summer, look at Across the Universe, which is one of my favorite films. Just the way that they retold or, or told their stories and, and the way that they're able to challenge us and execute uh, that, you know, those films are just things where we're not going on the nose. Get girl, lose girl, get her back at the end. You know, yeah. it, it, it's yeah. not just on the Here we go, guys. Here goes the same thing. Different people. Um, so what we wanted to do with Dark Moon Rising and, and it's, it's so weird because I, I know what we want to do and, and then we know our goals. And so it's up to the audience. So at the end of the day, it's art. You know, if, if right. people get the painting, they get it. If some people don't, then it, they're still left there challenging themselves, which is the key of art. The art is not, hey, this is a tree. You see the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Believe in the tree. And now everyone's having a good time. It's more of this is my interpretation of Starry Nights. This is how I see this particular painting. This is what I felt at that time in my juncture in my life. If you only see circles and blobs and acrylic, then you're missing um, the point of this picture. And if it's not moving you and motivating you, then then it should force you to ask yourself why. Right. And, and for what we're trying to do is we wanted to sort of play into the Japanese live animation. And I, and I reference this a lot in some of my interviews. We wanted to, to get people into that mold because I grew up, um, I was born in 88, uh, so I, you know, I kind of caught on at the end of that that last tier of of people who were in the in a world before everything became compacted into phones and YouTube and you know fast food. Like I'm from that middle of the road, the last group before we got into the new school, if you of the millennials, because right. everything to me, I didn't want to put everything in a trailer. You know, I'm the kind of guy that goes, I want the movie would have just said Dark Moon Rising, and you would have just saw like people. And then coming soon. <laughs> That's it. Like, you know, hey, get there and, and unwrap that when you get to it. You know, um, I don't want you to see anything else. Like When you get there, you'll see it. So we wanted to play off the live animation. Dragon Ball Z, uh, Bleach, one of my favorite films, Ninja Scrolls, uh, Kira, you know, Attack of Titan. It's so many. And if you, and if you really follow their form of storytelling, um, which they do phenomenal is they draw out the character development. Right. You know, Dragon, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, I, I remember we come home and uh, I think we were watching this, the Frieza saga. I think it took Goku, no joke, real time, three months before he actually fought Frieza. And he just <laughs> stood there in the air just talking about what would happen. Yeah. When he went over there to fight him, he's like, oh, when I get over, <laughs> Freeze was talking about his Q score. I've never seen anyone this powerful. Like, it's just taking, just taking forever. I'm like, is he going to do anything? But it kept you on the edge of your seat because it was like, man, when he gets there, I'm telling you, this is going to be. <laughs> right. Something's going to happen. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next week, Goku moves. You know, like, <laughs> will he do, you know, like, oh, I don't know. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. And, and I missed that because. As crazy and silly as that sounds, I, I'm, I love being challenged. And I think what Nolan's doing with Interstellar, if you look at it, these are long, drawn-out ways of, of telling you a story about survival, um, telling you a story about space exploration. But he wrapped it in such a way, and obviously I'm no Nolan, but his execution and his thought process between, behind all of his films, from Memento, I mean, to the Dark Knight trilogy, it doesn't matter what it may be, him and James Cameron, two of my favorites, Mm -hmm. uh, Guillermo del Toro, um, obviously Darren Epnoski, I mean, the way he broke down his, his earlier titles, love it. I love the fact that they're telling these stories 
in a way where they're not pigeonholing themselves. Because James Cameron, for example, um, put himself in the special effects. So he's there revolutionizing how that is done. Right. Then he goes and jumps into the story, and he's revolutionizing how that's done. <laughs> then he's jumping into how we receive the score, how we receive the, the language of the characters. He's revolutionizing how that's done. I mean, if he wanted to, he probably could be an avatar. You know, he's probably, I have no <laughs> doubt he probably played one. He just didn't put a name down. As a yeah, in the background you know somewhere. Right? <laughs> Cameron was really the chief. He just didn't want to know. He was like that guy. He just, he probably was there in a suit, some kind of mocap doing something because he loves it that much. Um, and again, it's, it's difficult for, to, to kind of get that um, at certain levels because he had a lot of resistance. Titanic, obviously, you know, again, why would you spend five hundred million on a movie like this when people right. are questioning what are you doing? Right. You know, <laughs> it's just a simple story. Let's just tell it, get people in there, get them out. But he's like, No, we're gonna make this a love story and we're gonna tell the story, uh something that I would be interested in seeing. Um, we're gonna break this down about survival and, and human nature and and I'm I'm gonna tell it this way. We need we need these these elements. Uh, the abyss, terminator. I mean we can just go on and on. Right. So I just draw my inspiration from from these great authors, uh, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. If you told them they could only do, they could only write, or you told them they couldn't act, because these roles are made for people who are tried and tested. You don't get Goodwill Hunting, you know. We don't get The Bourne Legacy. We don't get Argo. Uh, we don't get uh, Ben Affleck as Batman. We only get him as Ben Affleck the writer or Ben Affleck the director. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's again allowing these guys to be creative, allowing us as, as artists to sort of be creative is, is what draws my inspiration for doing something like Dark Moon Rising. Uh, again, it's very unique, different in, in the aspects of allowing characters to speak in the head, sort of pushing the angles of fighting. I mean, they're fighting in, in a warehouse. The guy's talking for two, three minutes before he fights the guy. Yeah, um, <laughs> they're they're doing certain things, and and it, obviously, there's so much I want to execute a lot better. Um, but that comes with trying. I mean, if I didn't want to challenge myself, I wouldn't do these things or try to push those envelopes. I'd say, hey, let's stick to what everyone else has done, and let's keep it simple. Which is why I love Twilight. Um, I love the fact that for all of the perceived faults. Um, people just again miss that that movie gave us. It gives us Anna Kendrick, it gives us Kristen Stewart, who's phenomenal. Right. Robert Patterson. It gives us all these great talent. These guys, Ashley Green, I can go on and on. And they allowed us to see diversity in their cast. They allowed us to see what it's like to to sort of separate uh, different sections of of characters and and allow those stories to unfold. I mean, yeah, he's shimmering in the light. And then everyone's like, oh, I don't understand why he's doing that. Because he's shimmering in the light because that's what she saw. Stephanie Myers wanted him to shimmer in the light. I mean, good God. If she wanted something else to happen, something else would happen. It's called pushing and changing the envelope. Right. Um, why, why would you want so many, you know, why would you want him to just do the same thing? Then we just should make the same movie and just change the title. Uh, it's not, <laughs> there's no point in even trying to, to tell a, a different story. And so I think that once we start limiting ourselves, whether it be creative or artistically, then it just it leaves room for the great authors to kind of get lost in the fray. And hopefully with 
the franchise that with the trilogy and over however long it takes me to do Darkman Rising and everything else we're doing in my company, Pictures Your Entertainment, we, we get to that level of pushing these envelopes even further. And that's what God's blessing and with the energy of, of people that we're working with. So So uh Eric Roberts has mm-hmm. a, a pretty big role in the film. T- tell me how he got involved in this project. Uh, again, I, I'm, <laughs> we had, we're going to be trimming a lot, man, in these interviews. Uh, we got to cut this down. <laughs> Give us two minutes. Give us two minutes. Eric Roberts is one of, if not, I'd say, just, just one of the greatest talents that we've produced in-house. I'd say in-house and obviously American talent. It's just he's, he reminds me a lot of that actor who Anthony Hopkins. Uh, yeah. Yes, I believe he's in that vein. People don't recognize he's been doing this for over 20 plus years. He's been in everything. <laughs> he's, right. he, he's done TV. He's done film. He's done fantasy. He's done sci-fi. He's done horror. He's done everything. Yeah. 20 plus years. And and they don't get it. They think, well, man, he's doing a lot or he's he's not doing big things. And again, the perception is, is always lost because it can seem a bit murky and muddied if you look at it on the nose. But if you pay attention, and I did, I've worked with him on two projects now, three actually. Eric Roberts does this with such ease. It it really will only take, um, like for a uh, David Carradine, it took Kill Bill for people to say, oh my God, this guy is phenomenal. He can act. He can act. I understand why it took Tarantino to put him in Kill Bill for everyone to go crazy. Yeah. But he's been doing that for over 20 years. And David Carradine, I met. And God rest his soul, I met him uh, during the premiere of his film, and we sat down next to each other. i never forget what he said to me. He said, hey, you, you young man, you have the light, and, um, you know, keep going. But he said, for me, and I think he repeated it in the interview, he said, for me, it took uh, over, I think he said over 15 years for someone to give him the opportunity to show what he was worth. And, you know, and it's one of those things, he was so happy about it, because... He's been doing that for years. He's been acting for years, and he had so many great roles. And I think I think the same thing for Eric Roberts, who, unlike David, I believe has um, he's obviously been working consistently and can jump from the Dark Knight to Dark Moon Rising. Uh, yeah. He he's kind of guy that we don't we he's just underappreciated and undervalued for his business acumen, for the way that he approaches the the craft and his with ease it's such an ease for him comes to set knows where every angle is he knows what you're trying to accomplish and and he listens he helps make what you're doing better by giving you his insight his wisdom of working in it for over 20 plus i don't care what you've done for 20 plus years you made sandwiches for 20 plus years <laughs> you're gonna know some things that that i need to figure out right in the sandwich game so it's just, just his, just the way that he approaches it, man. And and I got him involved as my casting director, Angela Griffith, who read the script. And this is the key. People ask, how did you do it? And I know it's old and said a lot. He believed in me. And that's the honest truth. And that's the blessing of it all. It wasn't about the story so much in the sense of this was just something that he just couldn't put down. You know, I, I wouldn't tell you that. He wasn't reading it with the lights on and, and it's yeah. midnight and he read it until 6 a.m. <laughs> Picked up the phone and just had, fell out his seat. You know, I just can't wait to do this. What it was is he said, because he came to set and I had to run from him because I don't like talking to cat, the talent. I, I have this great fear they're going to say something to me and I don't know how to answer the question. 
I don't know. I don't, I'm just like, oh, don't talk. Please don't talk to me. You know, I just, I can't, they come up to me. I'm like, oh, he's going to ask me something. I have no clue what he's going to say. Like, hey, why are we using this kind of light? And I, <laughs> or, you know, what kind of cameras are we shooting? No, I don't like yeah. that camera. Oh, my God. I don't know what to tell you, Eric. That's all we could afford. So, that's what we <laughs> so I, I just didn't want to answer those kind of questions. But he came up to me, put his arm around me, he said, you're doing it. And, um, you know, it's a blessing and, and keep your energy up. And And that's. That's what it is. He comes, he's thinking, I'm going to be involved in a movement. Um, I'm going to be involved with, and that's what it is. Most of the films he's doing now, he's giving people an opportunity. He's doing something that he doesn't have to do. In, I mean, let's be honest, does he really have to do a lot of movies? No. No, yeah. You know, he doesn't have to. It's not like he's just at the house bored with something, trying to figure out what to do. I mean, his... His daughter is successful. His his family, his whole family, is successful. Right. Yeah. Um, his his wife is successful. Who's she's in the film as well. Um, she came out and played Miss Brown when she played a teacher. And again, she only did that because she liked it, the movement. She she felt comfortable enough with what we we're trying to do to say, you know what, I want to push some envelopes as well. And I believe in you guys. So yeah, why not? I I'll, I'll be the teacher. And, and so I have. Mrs. Roberts in the film as well. Oh, okay. And, you know, and, and it's getting people would probably miss that um, because I don't, we don't rah rah or try to get it. We, we want people to really, really focus in on the performances. And then I believe he gave a great performance as Henrik. He, he, he tackled a subject matter that has been dear to something that he's dealt with his personal life. You know, Henrik is a, is a guy who, who develops moonshine. Yeah. Um, has a he's a drunkard he has an issue with that and then so and it, again just goes to his professionalism that he's able to trust in the material and me enough to put him in a position to where he could portray this character honestly openly and and i think that that's what what really helped helped set his his uh role apart it's very defined one of the most defined roles that we had in the film because it's again he's that talented right um I can just tell you that from what I write and to what we see on screen, I, and any artist will tell you this, it's never what you see because there's so much more you want to give. And so that's that's kind of like, I think that's what I get from Eric. He wants to give so much more. And so he does a lot of things. He's trying to give more of himself to, to, the, to this craft because, again, he doesn't need it. He's 20 plus years in. It's not yeah. like he's clamoring to be Henrik and he doesn't know what he's going to do with himself. That doesn't happen. It's just more about um, believing in, in young artists and believing in the craft enough to respect it enough to say, you never know. Like um, the next few films in this franchise could could be, uh, you know, theatrical. They could be DVD. Could be Netflix. It could be whatever it may be. And right. just the energy of it is is such that everyone remembers it, and it may spawn the next. Nolan, or it may spawn the next creative guy who says, I want, I saw that film and I decided to take up something and do a risk as well. And, and now here goes, you know, my representation of, of the art. So, um, hearing you talk about, um, Eric, Eric Roberts in the film kind of reminded me of, uh, when John Goodman was in, uh, Kevin Smith's film, Red State. Mm-hmm. You know, and he did an interview afterward and uh, somebody was giving him all this praise over how how good he was in the film and then asked him, why haven't you done more serious roles like this? You know, you're usually in comedies. And he, and he said, well, no, nobody's asked me. 
<laughs> yeah. Know, so. Yeah. <laughs> it goes back to that first part that you, you brought up, Sean. It's, it's, it's really true. And that's what's crazy about this, this opportunity that we have. And it's such a, it's such a blessing. I say that a lot because it, it really is. It's, we have an opportunity to say, let's do a movie about werewolves and we're going to kind of throw kaput what everyone else thinks it should be. Right. Let's do that and have that be okay. And you know what, Eric, you can be Henrik because that's what we see. Not because that's sellable, you know, Um, not because, Hey, it's, you know what? That's what we see. I see you as this guy, be that guy. And we can take liberties on set. We can say, you know what? Hey, that's, I mean, we got, we can shoot all day. So, hey, if you want to, if you want to slam the, the, the whiskey on the table, let's slam the whiskey on the table. Yeah. If you want to get up and, and push the table over, let's push the table over. And, and as is seen in the movie, and I know you've seen it again. Thank you so much for watching the film. And I always repeat these things because it, it sticks with me. And hopefully I carry it throughout my career and life, if uh, God willing. There's a scene where we put the chair in the middle of the floor in Henrik's house. He turns his back. He hears noises. Right. Um, I originally wrote that all of the Wolfpack members sort of descend upon the house and you see all their talents. I mean, again, the script is pretty grand, you know, as far as big ideas. There's everyone there. Everyone has their own unique ability and traits. And they're all at the house and, and they show their powers. And, you know, and they kind of. Uh, force Henrik to sit down in his chair and and interrogate him, if you will. Um, Well, due to a lot of things out of my control, as usually it is, I could only get myself and KO in the scene. So I rewrote it in a way to where it was just two of us interrogating him. So there's no big sweeping dissension upon the house where we fly in with a drone and kind of get this long shot of the house and you know, we get all these characters fighting these other characters. No, no, none of that happened. We just got him turning around and put in the chair. But the DP and the lighting guy uh, at the time, they they were just so confused. And they're old school, I guess, you know, and they were just so confused. And this happens a lot, you know, on sets and, and not just my set, a lot of sets. They were like, why the heck is this chair in the middle of the room? Like, who put it there? And all I couldn't think in my mind was, you're concerned about the chair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, you do realize that these people are werewolves, right? <laughs> but the chair is getting you like, you know, oh, right. I just can't wrap my mind around these chairs in the middle of rooms <laughs> around here. It's just, <laughs> and that's what we find ourselves. And that it kind of speaks again to the overall sense of, Hey, this is make believe. Right. We are creating a world where this is okay. <laughs> there's a chair in the middle of this room. This happens because there's moonlight hitting it. I don't know. I really just want to, I don't what do you want me to, the people are going to pull the chair out when they grab them and sit them down in the right space, you know, the right space and perfect interrogation lighting. No, it's just, that is what, that is the the way that the scene plays out. It's, it's more interesting that yeah. way. Yeah. There's a chair in the middle of the room. I'd just rather have him interrogated in the middle of the room. I don't <laughs> want him interrogated on the wall. I didn't want him, you know, thrown up against the window in the middle of the room, there's a chair live with it. Right. And, and, and that, that's kind of where we go with, with these stories sometimes. And I think that's because audiences and people, um, I mean, they have every right to, to interpret whatever they want about your artistic expression by all means. I, but I just think that we get so caught up 
um, into trying to make sense of something that's nonsensical that it, it leaves it takes away the imagination and that's my goal if, if anything else I don't care if people hate every movie I do I mean I did a film called The Cloth and the first scene is the possession scene the girl's already possessed so yeah. you can go ahead and wait, you know we're not going to go 90 minutes of the preacher talking about what would happen if she turned her back on God and you know she contorts her left arm and runs <laughs> and then you know what I mean and we yeah. chase her for an hour and then oh let me guess she's going to be possessed <laughs> and then we find her in the barn doing some weird stuff and everyone's all confused and you know the parents are in denial and then finally they believe it once the house starts shaking and the walls start cracking everyone now goes man she actually is the devil um we just say hey here you go first four minutes get it go she's on the bed we're already there yeah. and the actors uh steven brand who played the preacher at the time and again phenomenal actor he, he's when i tell you just phenomenal actor he came to me because he was confused he was like i don't understand what we're doing um why is there no blocking where are the markers we didn't work this out. You just told us to come in here and do what you say. I said, yeah, because she's possessed. I really don't think we should be coordinated. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> I know that may seem weird in, in big productions and in, in other sets. We need to, you know, hit the mark and throw holy water and step back here. And, and I'm like, you know what? That's just so uninteresting to me. Come into the frame. Be a, be a pastor that's really dealing with this. And I guarantee you, you won't have blocking if this really happens. Right. In this, yeah. in this, you know, in this world that we're creating, you would not know what's going on. So it's so much more authentic to me. And then from there, instead of giving them again the possession movie, it was the the, the Catholic Church had formulated weapons beneath the church from the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, again, I wrote this really grand idea, and my execution uh, was probably beyond horrible in 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 comparison to what <laughs> I wanted to put out. You know, like, man, I wrote this, you know, under the church, but I, I had to get away with a garage because that's what we had. But it's like <laughs> underneath <laughs> the church um, um, in someone's garage. But it's we wanted to to give the illusion that they're there developing weapons to help fight this holy war between good and evil. And now we have our, our preachers wearing body armor and, and they're going out into the world like driving a regular car showing up at people's houses making house calls like ghostbusters right and yeah <laughs> and it's just so weird because it's like wait a minute that's how they're dealing with the demonic possession film they're driving around in a car with armor going house to house fighting demonic possessed people and and they're shooting them like with transforming guns why this is making any sense i thought we were gonna get you know again an hour of of stacy being possessed and us being confused on why she's in the bathroom you know eating her own skin or something like that i don't understand <laughs> and, and so that's what we wanted to do we just want to mix genres we want to push envelopes and, and get people to just continue to use their imagination and and again there's so much more that we want to do and execute in a different way but we have to we have to establish ourselves in this mold um, or otherwise, we're just going to be the same as everything else you've already seen. And, and I think any artist or any creative mind, what's the point in that? If I'm here to just copy Rembrandt, then go see Rembrandt. Right. Um, 
what, what is the purpose of that? I'm not, I'm not going to, I can imagine Da Vinci not looking over his shoulder and trying to see what someone else is painting. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, wow. I never thought about using that color. And then, you know, like, <laughs> throwing it on, yeah. just scrapping his whole canvas and going, I'm just going to do what you're doing. This is <laughs> far more interesting. Uh, I'm going to do it exactly how you did it. That's, right. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to try anything different. I had this Mona Lisa painting, but you know what, what you're doing is, far more interesting yeah uh, <laughs> you're successful let me just do that yeah <laughs> let me just do that i don't understand i'm over here trying to do this this different thing i should just do what you did <laughs> so what's the uh what's the next what's your next project that you're gonna work on uh well the next project that we're doing uh, is called forsaken and i have to work within the confines of of where we are you know I, obviously I, i'm not at the studio i'm i'm not um I'm praying, praying for that energy to come about. I don't have most of the resources I'm looking to to gather, so I'm doing films that would stay within a certain area and where I am and how I feel. You know, right now I'm in a sci-fi horror mood. Um, I'm transitioning to a romantic comedy mood because I love romance, and I may transition into more just sci-fi and fantasy. So we're doing a film that we just completed called Forsaken. It's going to be distributed through in court, hopefully coming out early next 2016, early next year. Uh-huh. It's about a preacher whose wife is dying of cancer. And so he turns his back on God and decides to possess her willingly to try to save her life. And I thought that would be interesting. So it was one of the more adult-themed horror films I've done so far where I wanted to just play off of, again, having an interesting wrinkle in, in what happens when you're, you've been helping cure people and bring attention to possessions and, and to being a soldier for God to now being faced with the ultimate decision. Once it, it, it hits your family, how do you react? Do you stay t- tried and true or do you now find yourself battling your own internal demons for what you want and, and what you feel you're owed? And so I thought it'd be interesting to play off of that, have a, an ex exorcist pretty much exercise his wife, but reverse it. Now he's trying to keep her alive and, and kind of, you know, trying to save her and, and fight God's will. Yeah. And in both ways. And I, and I thought just what he does in that is unleash, obviously, um, something that's been bubbling underneath the surface this entire time. And, and the Forsaken references of that. And you'll see a lot of that in the movie as it unfolds. Um, the next film after that, uh, obviously, I have Dark Moon Rising 2. And uh, we're, we're in the middle of doing that one. Uh, we have... Dark Cupid, which is about Cupid coming back to Earth and not believing in love. Uh, and he's pretty much going through and, and he's trying to right uh, the wrongs of how we perceive love. And, and I gave him guns and, and I made him a girl. So, I, okay. I, you know, again, we're trying to <laughs> we're not trying to do just a simple telling of a story. It gets so, so lost in the shuffle. So we're trying to to mix things up to to push envelopes. And again, we don't have, we're not doing a Netflix original series. So we don't have 15 shows to do it in. We don't have, um, the, the large budgets to do it with. So we really have to be creative and we have to believe in ourselves and, and trust that audiences will, will enjoy what we're trying to do. And, and at the very least sort of ride the wave and understand that we, we are at least attempting to go, to express what's in what's in our minds, which is very difficult in general. It's so difficult to articulate a dream. 
I can't even retell what I did last night in a dream. I have to sort of break it down in pieces and try to tell you how great it looked and how vivid it was. But yeah. all I'm giving you is it was colors and crayons and, and you were there. I don't even know. <laughs> I can't even tell you how if you were there, you would really see this candy was not candy. It was something else. But I can only say candy because I can't even explain what kind of candy it was to you. So that's that's sort of where we find ourselves. And I think as as we keep rolling, um, keep going in our next projects uh, that we're doing, um, we're going to hopefully start seeing a lot of that, you know, and, and we may even try to do some more formulaic things, too, because I, I don't want you, what you don't want is people thinking that you can't tell a story. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. right. Well, can you not tell a story, a simple story? Can you just give us give us something that we understand? So I, I have no, you know, I want to make it sound like I, I'm against those type of stories because everything has its stay. You know, sometimes I just want the guy to get the girl at the end. I don't want him to turn into a butterfly and <laughs> <laughs> and us have to figure that out as to how this happened and butterflies representation of the soul leaving the body. And, and we're really talking about religion. I just want you to get the girl back. I really just came here to see I brought his date night or, or a scary movie. I just want to, I just want the cat to jump out, please. That's all I came here for. A few jump scares, a few hand grabs on the shoulder, a few, you didn't see that shadow cross directly in front of the camera frame. That <laughs> is all I came here for because I'm here to get scared and be frightened, eat popcorn and have a good time. Right. Haunted house kind of. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm there for that. I, I know what I want. And so I'm I don't want to make it seem like I was against anyone who, who does, you know, who do who does films in this in this realm. I think every every film. I mean, someone asked me a question. What's your what's the worst film you've ever seen or films that you hate? And I said, every film. The only film I can hate is a film that wasn't made. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I hate I hate Legends of the Winter because they didn't make – that's my favorite film, Legends of the Fall. So I just hate they didn't do a sequel. I want to know what happened <laughs> with Brad. I want to know <laughs> what did they really – you know, what happened after the bear attacked them? You don't go to black. What, what happened? I want to know what's going on with the Indian family. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I hate Beetlejuice 3 because they haven't done it yet or Beetlejuice yeah. 2, but I know they're doing that one. So – I, I want to see more, more stories, and I think every film is a labor of love. Every film is 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 people coming together to try to give their, themselves raw, open, and emotional to everyone to be judged, to be stripped away. So I, it, it's really terrible when people say things like the worst movie I ever seen, you know, or don't waste your time because right. it's it's like I can imagine again if we didn't put the onus on what Mona Lisa was and if it wasn't just kind of stampened in history i guarantee in this day and age if i painted mona lisa it'd be ripped apart it'd almost be like why did you do that yeah you know tear it up because it doesn't fit the mold of what we imagine beauty to be you know what is this you know what i mean let's just tear that all down and, and start over you know and and i think that the danger in that is we're telling people that there's only one way you can give a, give us a creative expression. And it's not about if you like it or not, if you don't like it, it's kind of relative. Everything is subjective. I, I mean, my mom loved the movie. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know what I mean? I, I know that again, it's mom. So and you can't genuinely say, well, 
because she's your mom, she hates it. No, not really. Sometimes my auntie cooks on, on Thanksgiving. I can't stand her potato salad. Um, the I just wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Uh, okay. So what what's your favorite movie? My favorite movie, and this is going to be long because I, I just – it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> um, my favorite movie now is Avatar. Okay. And, and after that, I'd say um, – crap, man. It's Legends of the Fall because you can't make that movie now. You can't make a movie where you, you get into a family and, and tell a, a story that grand and have those actors and not worry about the box office return. Right. You know, it's so difficult to go over a period like that, a period piece, and really get in there and and give the heart and and soul that it takes to do that. And then, of course, we have Across the Universe. Um, love Across the Universe, Moulin Rouge, um, Requiem for a Dream, um, The Labyrinth. Yeah, uh, you see a pattern with the kind of movie that I like. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, love and Basketball, which is weird. Uh, but I, I judge them off movies I can pop on at any time, and I have to stop and watch them. But the reason that Avatar tops for me, I was born in 88, like I said earlier, so I hear I heard a lot about Star Wars. Yeah. And I heard a lot about, um, you know, again, some of the other films that may have came out, that experience that people spoke about. When I went to go see Avatar, I was the first one in line. I don't want people to think I'm not someone who's critical. I'm very critical of things because – there's a lot inside of me that I, I want to do. So when I see other people doing it, um, I can feel it bubble up. I can feel that guy that we all know. I call him the IMDB critic. Yeah. The guy who, who gets out the shower with the head wrap towel and the, and the glass of wine and the, the dim lights and candles and pops his knuckles in front of the keyboard and just goes in on people's films. Right. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> like he, he makes a night of it. You know, he has a robe on and the dog is on his lap. Just, <laughs> just can't <laughs> wait to just go in on films. Ah, don't ever see this movie. Who gave him the money for this? I can feel that guy bubbling up sometimes. Um, so I can understand and I can respect it. But when Avatar came out, first thing I thought was, oh, blue people. Here we go. <laughs> really, Hollywood, this is where we're taking it? We, we, did, we didn't even want to cast people anymore. We're just going to give them blue people. Blue cat people. Yeah, that. blue All cat right. people, yeah. <laughs> this makes sense. They're blue cat people. Sure. <laughs> this is amazing. This, you're going to put anything out here. And I went to go see it, and I saw it by myself. That's how much I believed in it. I saw it by myself. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go by my – I don't even want to bring anyone else here. It's just going to be me. I, I want to sit here and enjoy the, the, the review that I'm going to give this movie when I go home. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. And when I sat there, something amazing happened, and, and that's why – it just shows you that you have to let go and let God sometimes and be still. I, I sat there like a kid, and I, I think a tear rolled down my eye. I don't know what happened, but I, I was amazed. I mean, just the first scene when he hits the, the mushroom thing and the, it starts flying. And all I, I, I was gleefully going, oh, I was giddy. I was like, oh, look at that thing fly. I don't know what it is. It's flying. <laughs> I was just I was I was I was mad I couldn't even I couldn't look away I didn't even know who the actors were that played the avatar I was that amazed I, was, right. I didn't want to know who's doing the tear I don't even want to know who's doing these people right now because then it changed my thought process like oh okay that was whoever like oh Laz Alonzo did that guy no I didn't want to know and so I not knowing because I didn't believe in the film 
it it gave me that experience that they talked about with Star Wars when the when the ship flies in overhead, like right? The very first scene, right? I mean, people just sat back because it felt real, like it felt, oh my god, oh, there's a ship entering the theater right now, and I was like, please, there's no way that you guys were that simple that you thought the ship was entering. <laughs> no, but I was that guy. I was that guy when that thing started spinning and and when he said save me and and everything he was doing, I was like, oh. God, please be an avatar. Please let there be a way he's going to be an avatar. Because if he doesn't do this, I am going to lose my S. Um, <laughs> and th- that's that's what I was. I, I ran out the theater. I called. I called. I know exactly who. I called Christina Trevino. I called Koo. I called up Carolyn. I called everyone up. I said, "Hey, what are y'all doing?" And they were like, uh, "We're at work because we have jobs." I said, "Listen, quit your jobs. Get out. <laughs> Come with me right now. We got to go see this movie again in 3D." Just come. And everyone was looking at me like I was crazy. And they were like, I don't understand why you, you're that adamant. It's a movie. Chill. Uh, <laughs> they, they came with me, and, and we immediately left the theater again, and we called everyone we knew. Hey, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was like, get, get to this theater. We're going to go see it again. Justin's yeah. on his third time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> come on. We're going back in. He may have missed something. Let, let's let's go in there and just watch out when the thing starts flying. He's going to get giddy. Don't worry about it. You'll understand when you get here. <laughs> Everyone came and, and and it was just a movement of you have to go see this movie. I don't know what you're doing, what you thought movies were, but this is a movie. This is this is someone taking a dream of how you thought it would be to travel to another planet and putting it on screen. It happened. That's how I felt. I was like, that happened. You know, um, if you didn't like again, Interstellar kind of does that for me too. Just the way that they traveled those worlds, I was like, that happened. If you ever thought what it'd be like to be in the ship and get lost in a black hole, that happened. I thought Nolan went there. I said, like, man, they they must have shot this for real, and they're not telling us the secrets because <laughs> he felt like they're just kind of you know milking it to us because maybe we won't believe it later. Yeah, but this was real to me, and Avatar did that for me, and it was it was just I never forget that feeling because as a, I mean, again I make movies, so of course I'm sitting there in every movie. Oh, that was a jump cut. Oh, that was a, that was a good cut, good shot. Oh, two shot. Oh, I like that. I like that. He, I like that he went to a two shot. Nice. Oh, nice movement. Nice movement there. Nice move. Oh, the lighting here is good. Lighting here is good. I love the color. Love the color. Love the color. But for Avatar, <laughs> boom! I had no clue. I didn't care. I wasn't breaking down scene by scene. I wasn't going, how did they shoot the CG on this? You know, it, it wasn't a who the acting there. It was just enjoy. And I don't know if I ever, you know, get that experience again. I didn't think it was actually possible in my lifetime because we are so astute to the, the filmmaking business and, and what's going on. Are you worried at all? About, I mean, uh, you know, James Cameron's going to make uh, Avatar 2 and 3. He's announced. Are you worried at all that they won't live up to uh, to what you felt the first time? No, no. Um, that's why I'm trying not to learn anything about it. I'm, oh, okay. I'm not even trying to dabble into steals from the set. I don't want to know who's in it. I don't want to know who they just cast. I don't want to know, you know, the, the story or anything like that. I just want to go sit down. And let that man amaze me. I don't even want to, you know, that's going to be my motto when I get married to my wife. I'm going to say, can you please put that somewhere? Let that man amaze me. That's got to <laughs> be what, what I want that on a, a sticker or something. Um, I, I, I'm The only thing I'm afraid of, again, is that people may have an expectation on something. And, and again, it's so weird. 
how can you expect the impossible on something that's impossible? Like, like you, you get what I mean? Like when Jesus performing miracles, it's like, yeah, he turned water to wine. And I don't want to get all, all biblical, but if he did something else, I'm not going to compare it to the water and the wine thing. I mean, yeah. if he does, if he makes, he rose someone from the dead. Lazarus got up. I'm like, wow, man. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to then go, but that water to wine though, the way he did that <laughs> was, I mean, that's way better than this Lazarus thing. Cause I could have done this. I mean, this, then someone else comes in. No, the water and the wine was pretty good. That was pretty, but he also walked on water. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's get that. <laughs> right. It's like, no, like, it's like, it's like everything is amazing to me. Again, we're losing that that sense to be amazed. We're talking about three to four years of work and and talent and and people artists from around the world putting their heart and soul into a film. I don't care what it is. It could just be James Cameron sitting down painting a person blue. It's going to be amazing when he puts it out there because that's how much he cares about the craft. And I think it's going to live up to that expectation because it's its own experience. You know, I'm not going to go in. That's almost like dating someone while dating someone. Like, you know what? I used to have an ex. Now you got a lot of things you need to live up to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) You know, like, no, I want, this is a whole new relationship. I don't want to come in bringing what I felt about, you know, Natalie into this. And sorry, Natalie, I just put you on blast. But it's (laughs) it's a whole new relationship. So I know I go into each movie that way. You know, each dark night is its own film. I don't. I don't go, man, part one, though. Right. Uh, if only he had done that again. <laughs> Just do the same thing so I could have felt the same way. Um, no, I, 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 I'm all about taking risks, you know, failing forward. You know, just do something crazy. Do something insane. So, um, okay, this last question. Uh, uh-huh. So as a horror filmmaker, what are your plans for Halloween? Okay, this is this is actually a really good question. There's two things. My apartment complex I'm renting here in Texas. Um, they have a, a competition, and my next door neighbor is has gotten pretty out of hand. I think he has too much time on his hands. <laughs> he's put a, he's put a bat outside. Uh, he has a witch in a seat, and he has caution tape. You know, he's going all out outside his door, and I'm I'm gonna start complaining because I'm losing. So the first thing I'm going to do is go out and, and get that straight because you get money off your rent if you win the door competition. Okay. I don't know about the money off the rent, but I, I don't like losing. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get that taken care of first. Second, um, I, I, I want to do something. There, I saw a theme in, in L.A. where they shut the whole block down. And everyone comes out and it's, it's pretty good. And I saw something that was funny. I saw all of the fast food entertainment people that was mcdonald ronald mcdonald jack in the box the colonel wendy's everyone was in a circle about to fight like it was like oh and all of them kind of gathered it was a, it was a chance meeting that all these guys met right because you know and they didn't know they were going to be there so we had this sort of fast food face off and it was just hilarious everyone started recording um like something's gonna pop off world star style with ronald mcdonald and jack in the box <laughs> and it was like, uh, that was interesting to me. So I, I like to do a theme. So I maybe try to put together some form of a theme. Um, the promoter in me probably should have said something like, we're going to do Dark Moon Rising outfits and, you know, the movies and Walmart, go get it now. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dress up like wolves. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but honestly, I don't know what the theme is going to be. I just know that we're going to go out and, and do something crazy, whether it be, you know, um, uh, last year, 
I was a slave and my girlfriend was a slave owner. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, pushing envelopes. I know right. it's not really, right. probably not cool. Probably would have got called up by Al Sharpton or someone <laughs> for, for setting the, the people back. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's not a laughing matter and all these kind of things, but I, I just, I, I'm like, Hey man, let's, let's, let's not lose our ability to, to have fun. If a child does something really silly, we laugh at it. Right. He slaps you in the face with an ice cream cone. You're like, Oh, and then people will say that obviously, you know, the elephant in the room, well, he's a child. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, when did we decide that wasn't the case? Like at what point did that adult thing kick in? Because I can tell you right now, it's pretty silly the stuff that we consider adult. I see grown men wearing jerseys of a guy they don't even know crying when he doesn't win a game. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's people playing video, like adults playing video games and taking it that serious. You know, taking remotes out, snatching remotes, Xbox and PlayStation in the garage. These are adult men who have a house that's set up for like teenage and college. Right. You know, and so when Spend did this all day playing thing? games? Yeah. All day. Like yeah. 40 years old and you got a Call of Duty account with a headset talking smack to 10 year olds who just got out. You know, like, yeah, right. shot yeah. Him, you know, headshot. Just all. So, yeah, <laughs> man, that, you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know, you sucker. And you got to go pay rent. You know, you have a mortgage and you, ah, you, this guy's 10 years old. But that, when does adult thing kick in? I'm just not a part of it. I don't know when it happens. I'm, I hopefully it doesn't hit me one day where I just wake up and start adulting. I don't want to do it. I'm like, let's just have fun. So we're going to have some fun, and, and I've always wanted to do the Samuel Jackson Black Snake Moan, so I maybe do something like that where I put the, the wig on and, and the tank top right. and just go out and just cuss a lot. Wife beat uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and have my girl, you know, put, put the chain around my girlfriend. I, again, I don't know how far I can push these envelopes without getting arrested or, or something like that. And, and so we'll, we'll see. Well, yeah, I don't know if you can. Well, you might get away with her walking around in her underwear on, on Halloween because just about everybody is. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just shouldn't be something I do daily. Let's just go there. I can't. I, I don't know. I don't know if we can get away with this just whenever I feel like it. But yeah, I do. I dress weird now, so it's kind of Halloween just gives me an excuse to be normal because I go dancing in uh, high socks and high ankle socks and arm sleeves, and you know it looks like I just robbed Hot Topic. <laughs> and just went out and just had a good time because I'm like, hey, I don't care. Everyone is at the club just watching you dance anyway. Like no yeah. one's there to have fun. They're holding drinks, watching you dance and judging you. And I'm like, why are you watching me dance? It's the, mo- the weirdest thing. Like prom, everyone just stands on the wall until that one person breaks the ice and it's okay to look silly. And then now everyone's, oh, okay, now you can look silly. Cool, cool, cool. And they go out and do it. I'm like, no, dude, I'm going to come in here looking silly because I don't want you focusing on that. Your life is, is short. And and it's amazing, and it's about being infinite and creating good energy about you, and just being in that space and not worrying about what someone thinks about you. It's always about what people think, what they may do, what they may not do. I really, quite honestly, don't care or give an S. And that's how I make films. That's what you know what we're trying to do in my company. That's just how I feel about everything. So Halloween's no no different. I may have three outfits in the car just to <laughs> spice it up see what we can do come in and turn the place on its head <laughs> but but i because you know everyone's dressing slutty that part i don't understand so much in the sense of i want to judge it because hey do you think uh, but it's like does everything have to be slutty slutty chewbacca 
slutty C-3PO, you know. <laughs> slutty Big Bird, yeah. Slutty, yeah. Everyone is like, oh, my God, man, Elmo's a slut. I'm like, what is going on? That's, like, a, that's, about the, that's just about the only, the only female costumes that you can buy at, like, Party City or somewhere like that. Yeah. Unless you're buying them for a five-year-old or something, everything above that is a uh, is... short skirt with the with eyes on the in the nipple area. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's Cookie Monster. I was like, whoa, what kind of cookies are you selling? Right. What's going on here? Like, you know, what you can be silly. My friend was Gumby, and it wasn't sexy Gumby. It was the actual Gumby. It wasn't like a green dress pulled back, skin tight, with a a, a tongue on the belly area. And it's, you know, sexy Gumby. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nothing like, sexy about Gumby. Yeah. <laughs> nothing sexy about Gumby. Like, be Gumby. I'm going to be a Power Ranger. It's not going to be a sexy Power Ranger. Have, yeah. like, butt implants. And and it, it just, I don't get it. Like, hey, I, I, get, I don't want to be that dude that just judged the people for being sexy Elmo. Because I don't mind watching sexy Elmo. That's fine. But let's, you know, it's okay to look silly. Um, and let that be all right. We don't have to push it one way or the other, you know, like that, that should be a happy medium, but I, I don't see a lot of crazy outfits. You know, I see a lot of, again, everyone has to sort of sex it up. Cause again, it becomes about what do you look like? Oh, I look good. Yeah. Yeah. I look good. I don't want to look, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed. Let's, let's make sure I look. it's like mean girls. Lindsay Lohan shows up as a witch and everybody else is like, Oh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are you doing what are you doing like i'm a witch he's like no and, and that movie was that's why that movie was a great film shows how people kind of in that world perceived how you know you should act there's a certain way you should act and and i didn't, I didn't like that so i love that she came as that kind of a witch well um justin price the uh the film is uh dark moon rising it's available at uh, Walmart, Redbox, uh, where else? Uh, iTunes, Vudu, Hulu, Amazon Prime. But what helps us the most is Walmart um, and, and Redbox. And, and so that's what we're telling everyone to go out to Walmart now and, and get a copy of it. And there's great special features on it, bonus features and behind the scenes and making of. Okay. And, you know, just as, as it goes, and, and thank you so much for this interview. Um, before we close, I, we're just so excited for people to see what we have coming up next and to see Dark Moon Rising. And we're ready to make the next few. And it's going to be different. It's going to be unique. It's going to be weird. It's going to be disjointed and, and you know, hopefully fun. And at least something that you can say, I, I don't know, I didn't expect that to happen. And that was a different experience. So that's what we're excited about. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. Anytime. And, um, you know, I, I, I'll let you know how my Halloween plans go if you don't hear about it on, um, well, I'm not big enough for TMZ, so I just say TMA or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much. It's such a blessing and sending you good energy. And I, we really do appreciate you taking the time. And like I said, Justin's movie is called Dark Moon Rising, and it's available at Redbox. It's at Walmart as well as on demand places like Amazon, iTunes, all that. But that's going to do it for this episode of Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk Podcast. Uh, we got a few more interviews coming up in the next few days. I'm going to be putting those together for uh, to make some special episodes for you guys. And I'm going to be getting together with John in the next few days and do another one of our episodes where it's just back and forth talking about some, some films and some television. But until then, happy Halloween. Take care of yourselves. 
We'll see you in the future.